welcome back to our Atheist Bible Study, where we hate reading the Bible as much as you do. Like, literally, if you have ever tried to read the Bible on your own, you probably stop around Exodus 20-ish mark, because this shit gets real dry and boring. I thought everybody stopped in Genesis when they start going through all the names. Yeah, that would be, okay, yeah. If that didn't get you, then this shit definitely did. Yeah. This is, we're going to speed through a lot of this and try to make it as interesting as possible, but... God, it gave us so little to work with in some of these parts. Yeah, I, it just blows my mind that somebody thought this stuff was worth writing down. Yeah. Okay, before we get into it, we did want to mention that we saw this a while ago and we kept talking about mentioning it in our podcast, but someone gave us a five-star review on iTunes and it feels so good. Yeah. I can't figure out how to see on iTunes who reviewed us or if they left any comments on it, but there is a five-star review on there, just one. You know, it feels good. I like yeah. it. Give me a little glow. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is we don't post regularly yet because we're still kind of working out a schedule for things, but we do post on Twitter when we're going to post. So where can, they, where can they follow us at? So you can follow us on, our name is Atheist Bible Study on Twitter, and it's at Atheist Study. Nice. Yeah. And so we post on there when we release our episodes in like a little clip of the episode. Yep, mostly updates on our episodes right now, but we're hoping to get more content as we move along. Yeah. And the other thing that we felt like we should mention before we like get into things is um, we are recording this the day after. So we're in America. I think that's been pretty obvious by now. But this is the day after all those pro-Trump people bum-rushed the Capitol and somehow like got inside and messed with Nancy Pelosi's desk and did all those weird things. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a weird day for us because I feel like today's kind of a bit of a hangover yeah. for America. Like, it's it's not yesterday where it was just, like, staring at our phones all day, like, trying to see, like, what was happening. But it's definitely kind of surreal right now. Yeah. I feel like everybody's kind of waking up with a bad taste in their mouth and sort of a national shame. Over what just happened. Yeah. Like, we've mentioned before that we have some pretty conservative family members. And prior to this, they have been posting a lot of stuff like, you know, like, Trump is here to, like, save us. We need to pray for this country that things go right. And, you know, Trump is our next president and stuff. And, like, generally just sharing a lot of misinformation, too, that it's even possible for Trump to be our next president when that's not the case. Yeah, and then now it's just pretty much silent. They just want to be left alone about it all, I think. But yeah. Yeah, and the other thing that's going on right now I'm seeing a lot of is uh, sort of people who want to kind of, after all of that, after all the things they said, want to kind of apoliticize this. And what I'm seeing a lot of is posts like, uh, we need to pray for our country, pray for healing, pray for unity. We need more prayer. We need to return to God. That's why you're seeing these events take place. And I just don't know when we're going to learn, right? Like, we do the same thing. don't work. We need people to do this work. Yes. And we we do it again and again where we say, what we need more of is more God, more Mm -hmm. Christianity. And the fact of the matter is, among Western nations, we are the least secular. And this happened here. Yeah. And... Christian nationalism has played a massive role in everything that we've seen happen 
this is as much because of Christianity mm-hmm. as anything else. Yeah. All right. And with that, I guess we'll just get into the, the rest of Exodus. So we have kind of just come off the tail end of talking about the Ten Commandments and then a couple of additions, additional rules to that. And this just kind of continues that. So the next chapter is called Justice for All. And it's just basically God saying, you shall not tell lies. Don't join in somebody's group lie or just another person's lie. And then randomly it just says, don't be partial to the poor in the courts. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there was a, there's a line before that that basically says, don't rule against them because they're poor, but then don't be partial to them either or something like that. Yeah. It mentions that you should bring back lost animals, that you shouldn't take bribes. And it says, don't oppress immigrants again, which was kind of addressed in the last one too. Yep. And this is basically a repetition of the same almost exact line. And we'll see it a couple more times. Yeah. Where it says, you know, the heart of an alien. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of continue on with some more rules. So then it says, collect what you grow for six years. And then on the seventh year, you should let the poor people and animals have it. So I guess that. They were fine for those six years. <laughs> I this guess is what so. they're waiting for in the seventh year when they can finally eat. Yeah, they well they they collect it all up and they you know, if they're they're good investors, they'll hold on to that. <laughs> what they're talking about is following a field. So this is a real thing that people have done throughout the centuries as a uh agricultural technique. And it's not really used too much anymore, but over time, whatever crops you're planting are going to use up nutrients and they're going to deplete the soil from them and so if you allow the field to sit for a year you can allow that nutrient to be replenished because other plants will start growing all kinds of weeds and stuff like that that are feeding on the nutrients that your crops don't need and then animals are feeding on that and then they're defecating on the land and providing for additional nutrients okay and it can also sort of starve out any like pathogens that are existing in the field oh it is a good thing just kind of like wrapped up in a god command yeah it's like a supernatural explanation for why when they do this they tend to get better crops Mm. um but nowadays we don't really have any need for it because we use artificial fertilizers and there's also other techniques like crop rotation where you can just put in a different crop and still get something out of it but that crop is actually replenishing for your next crop Nice. All right. Then we get another reminder to rest on Sunday and not to say other God's names. Uh, Then he starts talking about the Unleavened Bread Festival again, uh, something called the Festival of Harvest. When they gather, they should have a festival. And then that one's also also called uh, Pentecost. Oh, okay. Then he mentions that three times in the year, all the males should appear before the Lord, be like counted. And then it says a line that gets repeated a couple times, which is just, it's just strange. It's a weird thing, I think, to put in here. It just says, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So basically saying you shouldn't boil a baby goat in the milk that comes from its mother. I agree, Yahweh. (laughs) I don't know why people were doing that. That That seems unnecessarily cruel and a weird thing to eat. (laughs) But okay. And this yeah, isn't, it gets brought up again. I'm not going to like mention it again, but it says this a few times in a couple different chapters. 
yeah, to me, it's another one of those indications of the kind of uh, cultic practices that were probably taking place mm. uh, among the Israelites at the time uh, as this more universal and more tightly controlled religion was evolving Mm -hmm. they probably had a lot of other practices that were eventually going to go away but this is one that the author thought was important to call out because he find it found it particularly disturbing yeah as do i (laughs) all right (laughs) then we go into the conquest the conquest of canaan promised so this is god once again talking about how much glory he's going to bring everybody he's going to send a war angel so they can fight the hittites perizzites canaanites hivites and jebusites he says don't follow their gods but wipe out everything that they have uh then he just kind of randomly inserts that no one in your camp will miscarry or be barren in your land and then he goes right back to describing about how he's going to wipe out all their enemies little by little yep yeah that um that like rant he does where he just names all of the different <laughs> like Canaanite mm-hmm. peoples and how he's gonna drive them all. I, I I'm just hearing like Gran Torino in my head. Like <laughs> the old man just like <laughs> all the different <laughs> slurs and stuff. It's bad. But yeah, he basically says we're gonna destroy all of the inhabitants of Canaan mm-hmm. and we're gonna take over this land and he's gonna help them kill them all. But it's kind of inconsistent here because at first he's saying you're going to kill them all, but then he talks about that he's going to send kind of like pestilence ahead of them mm-hmm. and slowly drive them out. Right. Um. So it's, that seemed a bit unclear to me because it sounded like he's going to lead them to just destroy them and kill them all. But then it was, I'm going to send a pestilence so yeah. that the cities will be basically vacant by the time you get there. Right. And, uh, he's also very clear that you shall not let them live among you, mm-hmm. period. Cannot have Canaanites among you. Mm-mm. So this is, I felt it was uh, worthwhile to look into, we've talked about the Canaanites quite a bit, but but who are the Canaanites, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so I did some research, and they're, they're a little bit obscure. We don't have any real surviving firsthand accounts of them. We don't have any of their written texts of any kind. We only have secondhand accounts. But there are multiple secondhand accounts that say that of people who have interacted with them, not just the Hebrew Bible, but also in Egypt and in Greece, uh, awareness that there are these people that are referred to as Canaanite. Um, so they built cities across the Levant around 4,000 years ago. And as far as the discussion of them being kind of wiped out by the Israelites and God and stuff like that, uh, there's no evidence that Canaanites were ever wiped out or any of their cities were destroyed or abandoned or anything of that nature. The cities they found seem to have been intact. So you're saying there is no God. <laughs> well, <laughs> he never fulfills his promise of wife. <laughs> yeah, that might be a theme in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they've also found uh, human remains that they were able to recover DNA from, and they've actually compared that to DNA. Uh, from modern-day Lebanese people, and they find that uh, it seems clear that modern-day Lebanese people have descended from Canaanites, and surely many of the other countries in that region probably have Canaanite blood in them as well. So they didn't Mm. wipe anybody out, whether they claimed to or not. Mm. Some of the secondhand evidence they found also suggests that Egypt was exercising a lot of political control over the Canaanites. Like The kings uh, sort of had correspondence with Egypt and 
seem to be in control of Egypt. Okay. All right. So then moving on, we finally get a little bit more storytelling rather than just these kind of arbitrary laws. But they are very disjointed. <laughs> I'm just going to give you the bullet points. So the next part is called The Blood of the Covenant. And it starts with God inviting Moses and some friends up to the mountain, but only Moses gets to see God. And then we have, it doesn't say whether or not Moses came down from the mountain, but then we have Moses waking up early the next day to write down all the things that God said, and he builds an altar. Then he gets some blood from an oxen, and he splashes half of its blood onto the altar, and the other half he puts into these like basins or like buckets. And then he reads to the people what he wrote down, like what God told him. And the people say like, yes, like we agree with all this. And then Moses throws these buckets of blood at them. (laughs) (laughs) And And then we, uh, we have another story of Moses going up to the mountain again. So Moses and some more friends are invited back up to the mountain. Uh, God makes the floor sapphire. And the and also everybody gets to see him, not just Moses in this one. Then God invites Moses and an assistant to come and get what God wrote down in stone. So Moses has already written down what God has told him. And now he's from memory after yeah. God ranting for what I assume must have been hours. Right. And now he's back at the mountain again, this time with an assistant. So I don't know if people were like talking about like, hey, isn't it weird that Moses is the only one who gets to see God? And so now they're kind of inserting like, well, some other people got to see God too. It wasn't just Moses. Yeah. And so now Moses and this guy, now they are writing down what God said while they're on the mountain. And then it says that he left Aaron and some guy named Hur. This is what I don't appreciate about the Bible. Like, did they just throw in another character at me? Or did I know about her before and they just haven't mentioned him in a while? So I've forgotten about him. Just bad storytelling. I don't know who this yeah. her guy is. So Aaron and her are in charge. And Moses is gone for 40 days and 40 nights up on this mountain. From the, like, whole mountain with God discussion, there's just a whole lot of inconsistency there where basically he says that Moses and Aaron and two other people and 70 of the elders of Israel go up to see the God of Israel. And then it also says very specifically, also they beheld God. Right. So they go on up there and they basically throw a rager with mm-hmm. God. Yeah. They're all drinking and having a good time. Seeing Sapphire. And then Moses turns to everyone and he says, stay while I go up the mountain with Joshua. I thought we were already on the mountain. Yeah. And then Moses goes up in the mountain without Joshua and God's cloud settles over the mountain for six days. And then on the seventh day, Moses goes up the mountain. I thought he was already on the mountain twice now. Yeah. And then that's when he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. This whole thing is really confusing. And also take close note of the fact that they beheld God. Seems to me clear as a statement that they looked at God. So then after we kind of move away from this like story about Moses meeting God and and God starts talking about all the things that he wants. So God starts describing this whole setup that he wants so that way he can like visit his people or whatever. He wants an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, fine leather, 
something called acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for anointing oil, and fragrant incense. Also, onyx stones and gems to be set in the epod and for the breastpiece. So I'm assuming God is creating the first Victoria's Secret fantasy bra. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, it's clear to me that God was a Catholic. He's got a real taste for the theater of it all. The luxury thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then he says, I'm going to show you how to furnish and make a sanctuary for me. These next ones are just so unbearable to read. It's a solid four chapters of nothing but descriptions of the things that God needs for them to properly worship him. Yeah. With like step by step grueling instructions for like how to do this. Yeah. Stuff. He's and got it's like, Ikea pages. Yeah. For his tabernacles and his altars. It's awful. So we get the Ark of the Covenant, cut the Ark of the Covenant, which is basically just a gold box. We get table for the bread of the presence. So instructions for how to build a table with gold on it. The lampstand, the tabernacle, and just on and on and on about all these things that God wants built and instructions on how to build them. Then we get this brief aside about how Aaron and his brothers will be priests. And then even more instructions for a bejeweled hangout for God. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of explain later why Aaron and his brothers are called out specifically. I did take a little bit more notes on the So it says other priestly vestments where they're going into descriptive detail about what the priest should be wearing. Here's the dress-up part. Mm -hmm. This is the fashion show. This is so weird. So the priest has to wear bells so God won't kill him. It yeah. says, it sounds, this is from the Bible, it sounds shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he may not die. Yeah. So it sounds like that God- That comes up a few times here. There's <laughs> no way of distinguishing between- who is a priest and who is not, unless they have bells on them. Yeah. Like, like God doesn't want anybody sneaking up on him. Yeah, he makes RuPaul look like a teddy bear. <laughs> like, what? if you don't get this outfit right, oh my God. you're going to bring guilt on yourself and die. <laughs> he literally, well, he says, no, you're going to bring guilt on yourself and die if you're not wearing any damn underwear. Yeah, doesn't so he say he it a couple of times, though, about other things, too? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He repeats it. But he does a complete 180 on this whole naked stuff. He's just like, actually, I don't want to see a penis at yeah. all. So you better have everything tucked in. Yeah, th this whole section is just like, it feels like Christian Gray describing how he wants <laughs> someone to be dressed before they come into the red room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> okay. So th <laughs> all right. So then we get this very interesting ritual called the ordination of priests. And of course, it requires animal sacrifice and a lot of animal sacrifice. Oh, yeah. So first, they have to paint the altar in ox blood and put the rest of it at the base. <laughs> then they have to gut the bull and burn its entrails on the altar and then burn the rest of it outside. Then they take a ram, chop it into parts, Burn the whole ram. I don't know why we had to cut it up if we're just going to burn the whole ram on the altar. And we're doing this because God likes the way burnt ram smells. Yep. Then we have a second ram. This ram, we're going to take its blood and rub it on our ears, hands, and big toe. I was going to put feet, but then I was like, no, it very specifically says <laughs> big toe. <laughs> then everyone takes the blood that was, like, put into these basins and just splashes it around at each other. 
And then someone's got to hold up the ram entrails and some bread into the sky. This sounds like some pagan shit to me. Oh, 100%. This is like, if you told me this is what early priests did, I'd be like, early priests for what? For Satan? (laughs) And then he also demands two lambs a day for life. Yeah, that's the next thing. Every single day, they have to bring two one-year-old rams. Sorry, one-year-old lambs to the altar. They need to feed God a lamb in the morning and one at night. There's even like a little recipe description to how to make that smell good the way God likes it. And then we get into some more boring shit. There's like like another altar. Yeah, there's another altar just for incense. There's this whole half-shekel ceremony where everybody on the census has to give a half-shekel. Call this one taxation without representation. <laughs> they make the point. They make a point too to say that the rich know more and the poor know less, which I feel like directly contradicts what Jesus says in the New Testament when he talks about like, oh, see this rich man giving his stuff; it, it means nothing to him. Where this poor man is like literally giving everything that he has. Like that says so yeah. much more about him. And here it's just like everybody is the same. I don't give a shit. Like right. And he's also, like, blackmailing them. He basically threatens them with plagues if they don't give the half shekel. Yeah. <laughs> then there's something about a bronze basin, so everybody has to wash their hands and feet before going into this place. Um, some special incense recipes. I'm skimming over a lot. Yeah, it's a dense few chapters that yeah. is not fun to read or interesting. We're coming up on some good stuff, though. God tells Moses that he has given special talents to people So that way, all this stuff that he has just asked them to make can be made, which I think is very interesting because this sets a precedent that all special talents come from God. We get another repetition of saying that you need to rest on Sundays. He like threatens the Israelites again about the Sabbath. He's really freaking serious about this, but he he contradicts himself here. He says, you shall keep in Genesis 31, 14, he says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. I don't know what profaning it means specifically. And he says, whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among the people. So there seems to be two levels to this crime. One where you work on the Sabbath and you're exiled. Mm -hmm. And one where you profane it, which I don't know if that means just like saying, I don't care about it. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know what that means, but you're put to death for that. The very next line, Exodus 31, 15 Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So are you exiled or are you put to death? Either way, it seems very extreme well, sure. for it, working on a Sunday. All this stuff seems like nitpicking and silly, but when you consider that this is considered the holy and perfect and exact inerrant word of God, then you have to be specific about whether or not about the the contradictions. Well, that's what I find so ridiculous. So like, if you're not willing to admit that some of this stuff in the Bible is like bad, you could at least admit that you don't do half of this shit. Nobody is. I mean, there are very few religions who take this seriously and like don't do anything on Sunday. But for the most part, I'm talking about our God fearing American Christians. They're all work. They're doing shit on Sunday. They aren't taking the whole day to do nothing. Right. And I feel like the like claim, I feel like the claim is going to be, oh, well, cut off from the people is the same thing as, you know, if you're dead, you're cut off from the people. It's just another way of saying it. Well, then you have to go back to all of the punishments that God gave 
for other things Mm -hmm. where he said cut off from the people. Now all of those things must mean death. And some of those were pretty harsh for not very serious crimes. Yeah. All right. So God gives Moses his own tablets. And then while all that is going on. So setting the scene. Moses, he's been gone for 40 days. And the people are starting to feel anxious. So they turn to Aaron and they ask Aaron to make them a god for them to worship. As people do when they have nothing to do for 40 days. They're just looking for something to worship. So Aaron says, give me some of your gold. He melts down the gold, turns it into a gold calf. He says, these are the gods, plural. Which is interesting because he's only made one gold calf. But he says, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And tomorrow we're going to have a party. So the next day, all the people are partying. I don't know what they're doing. Probably really fun shit. And God tells Moses that he should probably go back now because the people are not obeying him. God also briefly starts talking about how he's going to kill all of them. But Moses Moses talks him down from this and is like, you know, they're still your people. Like, I'll, I'll take care of this. So once again, we have a human controlling what our God does. Right. And... How is this omniscient God changing his mind? Yeah. If you do, you were going to change your mind. Well, you're not changing your mind. You would have already decided that. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make any sense that an omniscient God changes his mind. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He sees the party that is ensuing. He's so angry. He smashes the tablets that God gave him. He burns. God worked hard on the, God, (laughs) hold on. We, We missed it, but God carved this, these tablets with his finger. (laughs) <laughs> finger the god. finger of god yeah. got some serious talons <laughs> and he scratched out yeah. all those tablets this is also maybe the first physical gift well no they got manna before but still it's a physical gift from god and moses just fucking slams it on the he yeah. threw it on the ground and then he burns the gold calf that they made and he asks aaron like what is going on why is this happening how did you let this happen And Aaron is just like, oh, well, you know these people. They are bent on evil. And all I did, I just threw some gold in a fire. And then this calf just came out of it. I don't know. Maybe it is a god. (laughs) And so (laughs) Moses then yells. Okay, so then Moses goes to, like, some sort of gate for the community. And he's like, everybody who's on the Lord's side, come to me. And so then they all, like, Go to Moses. It's like one of those uh, seminars where people have to, like, step oh over the line. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Step over the line if. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all the people who are with the Lord go to him. And then he's like, now fucking kill everybody. He says, go kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. And 3,000 people die. Yeah. 3,000. The word of the Lord. Moses calls this a blessing. I find the opening to this pretty hilarious mm-hmm. uh, because in Exodus 32, 1, the people are, you know, immediately after Moses goes up there, Aaron, come make gods for us. Yeah, they're like, what are we going to do? <laughs> like, why does the Old Testament <laughs> think people just have to have a god? Yeah. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, they just really need that. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think people operate like that. No, I don't think they were caring at all. No. And then. Or if anything, they would just be like, did Moses die? Like, should someone go check on him? It's been over a month. Like, maybe we should send someone up there. But they're like, no, their biggest concern is like, what will we worship now? Right. And 
this massacre that takes place on Moses's hands mm-hmm. is justified apparently mm-hmm. based on the sin that they commit. What is the sin that they commit? Well, sometimes to me it's like not even clear that they know this that they are worshiping another god, you know? So that's my point. So what's the sin? Most Christians today will tell you idolatry. Mm-hmm. Idolatry was their sin. Not really. Right. Aaron says, these are your gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then says, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord, Yahweh. Right. The actual word that you use mm-hmm. here. He's talking about God. Right. Like, did they all just forget? This is a, this is a bull that is meant to represent Yahweh. Right, and it makes sense to me because up until now they've been talking about sacrificing a ton of bulls for God. So, like, I don't know. It wasn't that hard for me to make the leap of, like, well, I guess then we can just represent God as a calf. Yeah, and also, to be clear, that part where it says your gods, the Hebrew word is Eloheke or Eloheka, something like that. It's another form of the word Elohim, which is... A word, a word for God. It's one of the two words that is commonly used for God, but it can also be used in different forms to be a general word for gods as well, which is why it's translated here as your gods who brought you out of Egypt. But the context makes it really clear that they're talking about Yahweh because they believe that Yahweh brought them out of Egypt. And then he says there will be a festival to Yahweh. Yeah. So here's what I'm picturing. So Moses, their religious leader, he's been gone for like a really long time. And the people want to still worship their God, but they don't know how to do it because Moses is God. So they turn to Aaron. Aaron gives them some physical representation of their God, the same God, for them to worship. And also maybe throw a party because for some reason Moses is really sexually controlling of them. So they just want to like let loose and have a little fun. Right. And then Moses comes down and sees it and hates it, that he's not a part of it. Yeah, and I hate to use language as if we're talking about this like it actually happened. Cause it oh, didn't. yeah, sorry. None of this actually but happened. This is all... If we're reading the story as if it did and we're trying to read the words exactly as they're written, that's what you should take from this. Yeah. So then after uh, Moses kills all these people, he or orders all these people to be killed. He goes back to God and asks for forgiveness. And then God is like, yeah, you know, whatever, like, go on move to the place I told you to move, but then he still sends a plague like a couple of years later to punish the people who apparently he's already killed 3000 people for worshiping this gold calf. And then later he sends a plague. Yeah. This whole section uh, is kind of like, just like a, like a disappointed dad thing. Like you walk on to Canaan and I don't even want to look at you. <laughs> that's this is what he says. He says, I won't go with you. Yeah, that's the I next part. He says, you. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going to go because if, if I fucking go with you guys, I just know I'm going to kill you guys. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you talked to anybody about this before? Because I feel like atheists do bring this up a lot as like one of the attacks on the Bible is like Moses committed genocide and it was okay, apparently. And it was, and this isn't even like, it's not okay when they're committing genocide against their, like, supposed enemies. These are against their own people, though. Yeah. He sends Aaron, or well, he sends the Levites mm-hmm. through to just slaughter their own people. Yeah. And, and no, I, if, sorry, you, like, briefly asked me if people have talked to me about this. No, I was, like, completely shocked when I continued, because I, I knew all the part about, you know, Moses smashing the tablet, because it's, 
I've seen like a movie clip of it. Like I know right. that part. I know that he comes down and sees him doing this. The part where he kills 3000 people is just, it was just not in my memory. Like mm. either it was mentioned and just completely glossed over, but that part was like new to me when I was reading it. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the way Christians justify this is say, well, Moses didn't slaughter all those people. He did it on the commandment of God. And God is justified because, you know, they violated his commandments or whatever. So if we assume that Moses is carrying out the commandment of God, that means God changed his mind a second time because he literally had that whole conversation with God where he convinced God not to do anything and then goes down there and kills the people himself. But apparently God had decided to command him to do that. Right. Which doesn't make any sense. None of this does. We're what? so cute for bank trying to be like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's just pretty indecisive for an omniscient God and supposed leader. Yeah. The other part of this, though, is that Christians are pretty vocal in their, what's the, in their criticism of Muslims mm -hmm. and what they call Islamic extremists. Right. If you saw Muslims in a Muslim country cut off the hand of a thief or behead a blasphemer, we wouldn't defend it on the basis that they were carrying out the commands of their God. Right. We would call it what it is. It's extremism. Yeah. And it's wrong. But somehow when we look at the Bible, we don't look at it with the same clear head. No. We, you know, we, we call that extremism because they have such faith in a holy book that they just fail to use common sense, which common sense says that going and slaughtering people is not chill, dude. Is wrong. I don't know. I, I guess I think the whole thing is Christians would just respond to all this and just say Islam is not a true religion and they follow the religion of Christ and it's true or whatever else. But at the end of the day, they're following a religion on basically the same set of facts. Mm -hmm. And it's not like Christians stopped committing atrocities after Christ. They continued to burn witches. Oh, and go on stupid crusades, fight wars over this shit. Yeah, like all of this, if you want to understand it correctly, is just that over time, our idea of what God is, whether we have a book about it or not, is evolving. This God is different than the God of Genesis, clearly. He's not getting down in the mud and wrestling with people. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? Well, he is getting down somewhere. Can I transition into that now? I, I guess so, but I mean... <laughs> you finished your last thought, yeah. <laughs> To close, you know, it's already, we're already seeing a changing God and, you know, thousands of years later, people's ideas of God are different because of the secular influence of our culture. That's what makes us reasonable. Mm -hmm. It's not the difference in religion. Yeah. All right. So next we have Moses pitching a tent for God. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. They haven't built the altar yet. So. Yeah. Uh, God is meeting with Moses. Oh, yeah. This tent. is when he gets a good look at that godly ass. We're not there yet, actually. So there's a whole sequence explaining about how the people go in to see Moses and God is there and they leave. And I don't know. But basically, when there's a cloud over the tent, the people know that God is speaking directly to Moses face to face like a friend. Oh, yeah. The cloud evangelist. Yeah. And I think it's really cute that it says that God speaks to Moses face-to-face -face like a friend. It just feels like a callback to the shack. And if you haven't listened to our shack episode, you should. It's really funny. <laughs> it is pretty good. 
I don't know. And I guess this comforts the people because I like to know that God spoke to Moses face to face. It is important. We mentioned this before. It is important to note that apparently God is directly speaking to Moses like in person, which we've already kind of said a couple of times up on the mountain. So then this is the best summary I've ever written. (laughs) All right. So. Also, Joshua, like, can't get enough, and he's always hanging out in the tent after. Yeah, Joshua never leaves. leaves. <laughs> Evangelists love to talk about this. They talk about how hungry he is for the <laughs> word of the Lord. <laughs> okay, so earlier we said that God isn't going to go with the people anymore because he's mad about them for this whole golden calf thing. So then Moses is speaking to him, trying to convince God that he should continue traveling with them. And he's saying, like, you know, like, how are the people going to know that we're together if you're not with me? (laughs) So God says, you know what? Yes, I will go with you. And then they have this, like, very sultry moment where God pushes Moses against a rock and covers his eyes and gives him his glory. And then he allows Moses to turn around and look at his butt. (laughs) (laughs) That is an apt summary of what, (laughs) what occurred. Go read Exodus. 33. I am not messing around. This shit reads like porn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not, but it's, when you read it, you're just like, huh? Wait, what is going on? (laughs) Why is, (laughs) why is he going into a rock crevice? Oh yeah, the rock crevice. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. But okay, what we were just talking about is like, so the reason why God has Moses check out his ass and not his face is because he says that you'll die if you look at my face. Yeah, it says... After we've had several accounts of Moses apparently... Doing just that. Yeah. Thir- Exodus thirty three twenty. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And we already have accounts of him being beheld by all of the elders. To me, that's even more clear than the, they spoke face to face. I don't know. Maybe you can use that figuratively. but. They beheld him. Yeah. Is a clear visually they saw him. And then obviously all the face-to-face meetings in Genesis Mm -hmm. with uh, Abraham and Sarah and all of them, you know, they were chatting it up with God. Sarah laughed at him, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's what I mean about a different kind of God is that this God feels a lot more, a lot less comfortable being present and one-on-one with people. He does the cloud thing a lot. Yeah. And he's making himself out to be a more, he's more just like high above and untouchable. You know, I'm the holy God. You're not going to just come and see my face. Yeah. And that's very different from the God that wrestled with Jacob. Right. One of the funnier things that I read. So I, I had to look into what, you know, how Christians explained this clear contradiction away. And, oh, man, this is good. <laughs> it's it's so simple, Nicole. <laughs> what? Please tell me. It's because, it's because he was Jesus. Shut the fuck up. I swear. Shut the fuck up. He was a baby. <laughs> the whole point of Jesus is that he was like a human. That, that's what he, he was Jesus. He embodied himself as Jesus, who is <sighs> man, and therefore they could look at him. In Exodus, thousands of years before Jesus was a person on earth. No, I hate that because literally the whole thing about Jesus is he's like just as human as all of us so that we can relate to him. Ah! Yeah, and I found this on um, 
I don't know, some like Bible answers website. And I, I had to include it just cause it was hilarious. But at first I thought it was just kind of an obscure, you know, one wild outlandish claim. But I found that there's actually a, quite a few Christians who have adopted this as their explanation. Like when I was going through people's Yahoo answers of how do you deal with this contradiction? A whole bunch of people were just like, well, it's because he was Jesus. Amazing. Yeah. Which the whole Christian story of how everything starts over and changes and you don't have to worry about the Old Testament now that Jesus comes around doesn't make a lot of sense when Jesus was around the whole time mm-hmm. and when he could have just died for people's sins right then and there. And he just butt-fucking Moses. And- <laughs> yeah. The simpler qu- claim that a lot of other people try to make is just that they make the claim that he just embodied himself as an angel and therefore that's different. But to me, this is still mental gymnastics. It's still this circular logic of the Bible is true. Everything in it is true. And therefore, if you show me something that's supposedly a contradiction, well, because the Bible is true, mm-hmm. then you must be reading it wrong. And I can add in extra information to make it be true and therefore since this new reading of the story is true the bible is still perfect i proved that the bible is perfect like you know what i mean like yeah it's a circular line of logic and you just you literally can't argue with it it's like yeah so all of liberal media ends with something like this or that or they say make it make sense and that (laughs) is just fucking christian job they love to do that they would love to come down here and come up with some bullshit for it to make sense yeah that's the whole problem with your understanding the world starting with a theory out of the blue and then working to prove that theory no matter what yeah because that's just not how we learn things (laughs) all right so next part is moses has to make new tablets now because he broke the old ones so god makes him cut out some stones without anybody looking at him and then he has to carry these up to the top of the mountain so God can recarve them. And while he's up there, God sings a strange narcissistic song about himself where he describes himself as slow to anger, forgiving, but by no means clearing the guilty. Which, first off, kind of feels like those two things contradict each other, being forgiving but also not clearing the guilty. Yeah, it's one of those things that only makes sense in a theist's head. Yeah. And then also the other thing that kind of stood out to me is describing himself as slow to anger after we've just seen him <laughs> and Moses get into a fight where God wanted to literally kill everybody and Moses had to talk him down from that. Yeah. And also, I don't think you're allowed to call yourself forgiving if every time you forgive someone, it's because someone has convinced you. That that is a thing that you should do. Yeah, and then every time Canaanites are mentioned, it's like, don't get me started on the yeah. Canaanites. <laughs> <laughs> he just starts going into a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's also, like, in Exodus, I don't remember this being a thing in Genesis, but in Exodus, there's a lot of God talking in the third person, like yeah. a complete tool. Yeah. It's really weird. It'll say, God, uh, the Lord said to Moses... And then he starts talking and he uses, he says the Lord again. Right. As he's talking to Moses. Yeah. It's such an awkward thing to read too, to have it say when it says like, and then the Lord said, the Lord said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So after that, 
So then Moses makes another plea for God to come with them. And then we have this whole section called the covenant renewed. And it's just a repetition of the Ten Commandments and other random things God has said, like not to boil a kid in its mother's milk. Right. And this is almost a completely different set of Ten Commandments. Yeah. If you count them, you pretty much come up with there's ten of them, but they're not obviously broken apart into completely distinct things the way that the original, the other Ten Commandments are. But it's clearly meant to be the same thing. It repeats three of them exactly, but the rest of them are completely different. Right. Like it throws in there some parts about how you shouldn't marry, like your son shouldn't marry a daughter from a different religion. Otherwise, they'll like convert them. Yeah, and I don't even know if that counts as part of it or if that was just rambling about the Canaanite still. Right. But the only three that are pretty much the same are the Sabbath, uh, no images of God or graven images or whatever you want to call that, and no false idols or no other gods, basically. Yeah. Those are the only ones that are the same from the first set of commandments and the second set of commandments. Okay. So also... You'll notice here that it starts out, like you said, that God is telling Moses to come up to the mountain and to sit around and wait for him to make another set of commandments. Mm-hmm. But in fact, Moses makes the commandments. Oh, right? yeah. Within the same <laughs> chapter, there's a clear inconsistency here where he tells Moses in Exodus 34.1, the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the former ones. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. <laughs> and then Exodus thirty four twenty seven, the Lord said to Moses, write these words. In accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious and so fucked up because God makes him carve these stones at the base of the mountain. These carry what I imagine are these pretty heavy stones all the way up to the top of the mountain where he thinks God is going to carve them. And then God is like, never mind, you're going to actually do it. Right. He has to go all the way up there. And on top of that, he's already written these down himself once. And then God has written them down apparently one time. And now he's writing them down. It's just so... Yes, yeah, so you, you have to recognize this as either a point of source inconsistency where it just contradicts itself or God just changed his mind. He broke his promise, basically, which you say God can't do. Mm-hmm. And then also the fact that, that we're kind of redoing all this, right? It feels really excessive because as you're going to go into it, basically is going to go through all that same prolonged discussion of how to build everything. Again, it seems pointless for the fact, it just seems pointless that they're going to belabor all of that again. The most uh, biblical scholars think that this is another issue of just source inconsistency where you have the chapter 20 version of the story that goes up until chapter 33 is the uh, Eloah's source, Mm -hmm. whereas chapter 34 through the end is, for the most part, Yahweh's source. And most of them think that the part where Moses just destroys the tablets and everything was actually just added later by a redactor who wanted to saw, had these two stories and didn't know how to make them work together because you have two different stories that include different facts for how it all happened. Mm. So he has to figure out how to make it work. So, okay, Moses has to destroy the tablets, 
and then now we can start over and build the tablets again and we can tell the same story twice but make it look like that was intentional Mm. so then moses comes down the mountain with the tablets that he made himself and his face is all glowing and shiny because he's been talking to god freaks people out a little bit and that's kind of just the end of that and then they start talking about how they actually build all the things that God wa- that God wants them to build, which is pretty annoying because it just repeats the instructions for how to build them, only they say that this person built them. And that's the end of Exodus. Yeah, so the, the part like right after the covenant renewed or whatever that was, where it like it has Moses come back and all of a sudden nobody wants to go near him because he's just shining or something right when apparently he's been talking to god this whole time he has that whole part where he sees the glory of god he looks at god's ass or whatever yeah and he doesn't shine then but now he's shining yeah and <laughs> and now and it says like every time after that he talk when he talks to god then he's shining yeah and this whole this whole thing about that so and it just yeah. comes out of nowhere and you're supposed to just pretend that that's consistent with the fact that previously he wasn't shining. Again, it's just a different author that put this in there, and now they don't have any means of making it work. Yeah, so it's just in there. <laughs> yeah. Also, did you notice uh, with the Sabbath instruction this time, it also talks about on the Sabbath you can't even kindle a fire. That's a new one. Oh, no, I didn't, I, I didn't read most of this, not going to lie. <laughs> as soon as I saw that they started to go into the same things, and I saw a couple of the same phrases that I'd already read before. I was just like, okay, I'm kind of out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely skipped all of the new tabernacle stuff, but I went kind of detailed on the new Ten Commandments because it's a different set of commandments. Right. Um, And yeah, the Sabbath now prohibits you from even kindling a fire on the Sabbath day. Yeah, that's pretty much it, though. I mean... You're gonna read Exodus, probably skip the second half, or I'm sure most maybe people skip do. all of it. I'm sure Just even Christians don't. <laughs> well, no, I mean like the first part of, about Moses is interesting, but like with the Prince of Egypt and all that. Yeah, it's not so bad up until chapter twenty, maybe. Yeah. All right, so that's the end of Exodus, and then now we're going into Leviticus. Gonna get pretty bad pretty fast, I think. I, I know what Leviticus is, oh, and okay. <laughs> it's gonna get ugly real quick. So. We'll see you there, I guess. Bye, y'all. Bye.